Podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we are discussing the penultimate episode of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, The Inner Fight, a pun so powerful that Paramount begged us not to share it before the embargo <laughs> was lifted. Yeah, which has caused people to rightfully, you know, mm. compare it to the inner light, and most of the people I've seen prefer this one, so... Interesting. We do have a select group of friends who take contrarian positions on iconic episodes and who maybe think that mind control machines should be used with consent. You know, you should ask someone's permission before you dump a lifetime of memories in their head. Just a theory. I can't take that episode seriously having seen the author at a con one time. Oh, Oh dear. You know, rest in peace. And he did, he did good. Anyway, I'm sorry. Let's talk about this episode. Let's not talk about the inner light because that episode makes me crazy. So let's talk about the inner fight, which makes me crazy in a good way. Oh my gosh, it was so good. I was watching and I was taking notes and, you know, usually I drop them in our chat behind a spoiler bar and I was like, no, I want to be absolutely certain that Annika is seeing this without being spoiled. McMahon said at New York Comic Con that they purposefully held back these episodes because they didn't want anyone to spoil it and they also didn't want anyone to know. They were like, we we want this to mm. be a surprise to as many people as possible, as long as possible. So they held it back oh, in the yeah. press until I, I think we got it two days before. And it was so worth it. Also because getting screeners, we kind of experience things a bit out of sync with fandom. So it makes our podcasting, recording and editing so much easier. But it kind of means it really changes the experience mm-hmm. for us. And I was so glad that I got to only be one step ahead of the fandom with this, that it was still yes. new to me when it was new to everyone. When it was new to everybody, and I mean, just the conceit of connecting Lower Decks the series to Lower Decks the episode is... Genius. Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely amazing. Which also naturally links us to the first duty, and Nicholas Locarno is not Boba Fett. <laughs> As I say in my outline, <laughs> That is such an Annika sentence. <laughs> Only Annika could have come up with that sentence. Because <laughs> there's layers. See, there's layers. Oh, yeah. About yeah. how Nick Locarno is certainly a grey character. And yes. honestly, Boba Fett more honourable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's fair. One of my fandom pet peeves is guys mostly guys, insisting that Nicholas Locarno and Tom Paris are the same person and he just changed his name and I guess went to the Academy under a false name because something something Nepo baby. And one, I think that's absurd. And one of the things with television is that you just have to suspend your disbelief when it comes to using the same actor again. And two, the Voyager producers have always said it wasn't the need to pay a fee to the writer who created Nick Locarno that put them off using that character. But they felt that Nick Locarno was too, they said irredeemable, I think. His crimes are such that it would be hard for him to fit into an ensemble 
in this I would era. say tainted. That's the yeah. word I would use for it. And I agree with that, especially considering Tom Paris's arc. And, mm. like, the Tom Paris that eventually emerges, and, like, not super late. Like, by the end of the first season, no. the Tom Paris that emerges mm-hmm. is someone who could not be Nick Locarno. Yeah. Nick Locarno will kill one of his classmates and throw his friends under the bus to get away with it. And he never confesses. He gets caught. Whereas Tom Paris can't live with his mistake and does confess. And that's the, the key difference between the two. So I am delighted that the, like, the character design for Nick Locarno is obviously based on Robert Duncan McNeil, but doesn't look anything like Robert Duncan McNeil mm-hmm. as Tom Paris. Like, they are clearly different men. Also, Tom Paris was in Lower Decks. We know what he's up to <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you call you said the writers called him irredeemable, and I might be misremembering, but that's the overall. Vibe. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, okay, uh, like I said, tainted. Uh, but I love irredeemable brat, <laughs> so I'm into it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I said that if I had uh, the time and wherewithal, I would write the fanfic version of what I want to happen to Nick Ricardo before next week's episode <laughs> comes out. I do not have the time mm-hmm. or wherewithal to do that. So I'm just going to tell you here on the podcast <laughs> Please. that I want it to end with Nick Ricardo in uh, T'Pring's prison Vulcan rehabilitation yeah. place. And I legitimately <laughs> want super old T'Pring to be there. <laughs> Because, and she would explain to him that she started out as a a supervisor, and then she was, you know, imprisoned there for a while, and then she came back. That's what I want. Uh, Is she imprisoned because of that novel? Because of the novel with the the real estate nonsense, where Dupring is secretly Lex Luthor from the Christopher Reeves Superman movie. You know, out of all the Vulcans that we've seen across all of Star Trek, I do buy that T'Pring is the second most likely to be involved in a real estate scam after her parents. After her parents! No, her parents are involved in a multi-level marketing scam. (laughs) (laughs) Both of them, different ones. But anyway, so that's what I, you know. Yeah. But, but the point is, we've already introduced villain therapy in Lower Decks. Yeah. And my, you know, I say here in, in the outline that every episode of this season has built up to this ending with little, you know, little breadcrumbs. And I would love for Nick Locarno to not be irredeemable, but to yes. get punished. Or like, you know, to be required to atone for his wrongdoings. Yeah. Especially since his wrongdoings yeah. are kind of weird. I was trying <laughs> to say, he doesn't seem to be killing mm-hmm. anyone. He's just separating out disaffected uh, junior officers and dumping their senior officers on a planet. <laughs> I don't know what his end game is. I wonder if he is actually working for someone else. Um, because this just seems... Very he's a strange. lower decker. He's a TOS admiral. <laughs> like he's gone who's gone mad? mad? <laughs> like that's 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 yeah. the vibe I'm getting. I can see that, and I guess my question is, what is his long term plan here? Which I assume we'll find right. out next week. Exactly. We just have to we be, just patient. be patient. And I really want to congratulate them for keeping me guessing all through the season, 
And also, it's, it seems like a very simple plot line, but I actually have no idea where this right. is going to go. <laughs> and, and yet, when we get there, I'm sure it will make perfect sense, because, like, you correctly guessed that no one was being killed in these yes, scoopings. no one's being killed. I mean, like, I, I again, I think they gave it away in the second episode. They, that was obvious to me. <laughs> that, that's what was happening. And also that, like, that would be irredeemable. And if you want mm. to have someone that we know and someone that we're invested in, and it doesn't have to be necessarily someone from Star Trek history, but it's Lower Decks, so it does. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. that's part of the conceit of the show. There's no one in Star Trek that... I would call it irredeemable, and there's no one in Star Trek that I want to mm. see just straight up murdering people for fun. That's just not what Star Trek's about. No. When Tuvok runs across a serial killer, he cannot cope with the idea of this person who's just killing right. for fun. As you say, the second episode probably set it up. Moopsie. Uh, I'm wearing my Moopsie shirt. Maybe this is a senior officer menage. And so the junior officers can watch their bosses fight nice. to the death for survival. I mean, it, it could be many things. Mike McMahon, again, at, at New York Comic Con, he was very excited for all of us to see these episodes because he said that Reddit got it close but didn't guess it. And, and oh. so I was, I was into that. <laughs> like, mm. Because you know me, I love a story that you can guess the ending yes and the yes. best stories are the ones that you can guess but you don't those are the absolutely right. best stories because he doesn't you don't i hate straight up hate <laughs> stories that go nowhere that you know trick you those are the worst stories i would rather be fully spoiled than tricked so this is a, a really good balance i'm very excited for the final episode yes and for a glorious minute there, I did think that the Lower Deckers were going off to save Beverly Crusher. <laughs> and I'm almost as disappointed as Boimler that we're not. Because I... I think the episodes... <clears throat> sorry, I'm sorry, the characters that they list that not Boba Fett might be going after are Beverly Crusher, Seven of Nine, Tom Riker and Nick Locarno. And I instantly thought Nick Locarno was the red herring because all of those other actors have very recently been involved with Star Trek. But we know where the other three are. Oh, Beverly Crusher, we know where she is. Seven of Nine, we know where she yes. is. And Time Riker is mm. starring in the comic book, which is canon. Oh. So we know where he is too. It's one of those things. I don't think he's not starring, but he's guest starring. Hmm. I didn't realize that. So Nick Locarno is one of those, like, we don't know where he was, and so we get to find out. Hmm. And, of course, Freeman knows that Locarno knew Mariner at the Academy, and she presumably has very conflicted and probably strongly negative feelings about him. And so, of course, she's like, Absolutely I need to get my daughter away from this <laughs> she <cloud."> is. <laughs> uh, okay, so we can skip to the end of my outline and just say, mm -hmm. Captain Freeman... <laughs> His, I'm sorry, I'm voting for Captain Freeman in every best captain poll from now on. <laughs> sorry, it's just, that's just no, the truth. No, absolutely. There was a bit where I wrote down, I'm starting to think maybe we oversold Captain Freeman as the most competent captain. And then it was like, no, no, it was a ruse. She is the smartest. And she is really good at her job because she's willing to look like yes. a fool. And they Which, are not. None of the others no, are willing to no. do that. None of them. No. 
Not even Michael. And I love Michael. She she wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, the other captains will carefully engineer a situation where they don't have to look foolish, and that is its own kind of skill. But Freeman, Freeman's ego works differently. And I really That's like so that. Good. And she, was, she did it in a way that Rutherford didn't feel like they were keeping something from him at the end. He was on yeah. board. He was like, oh, I get it. That was smart. Mm. <laughs> because mm. they weren't not telling him because he is lower than them. Or it was like, this is all part of the plan. Mm. And we're keeping everything, you know. It wasn't a, uh, disrespectful of him. It was just, you're a lieutenant junior grade. And yeah. also you're Rutherford and you're not very good at lying. <laughs> right. It felt like Freeman was willing to make herself the butt of the joke, but she wasn't willing to make exactly, the exactly. Joke. And she wasn't willing to put Beckett in a situation where she would be extra vulnerable. And, and the fact that in doing so, she you know sent Mariner into the jaws of the lion's den. That's not her fault. That, that's just how <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how we television all... happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The second Tendi comes up with the most boring and safe mission in the world, you know that that's, that's going exactly to where what's everything bad isn't happen. But that she had a meeting with all of Mariner's friends and was like, mm. "I noticed this. You've noticed this. Let's talk about mm. it." Again, it was not disrespectful to Beckett. Mm. It was all coming from a place of care on all of mm. their sides and. And that they, the lower deckers were already discussing it beforehand, so they were fully on board. To Lynn, Tendi, and Boimler all protecting Mariner in their own way was really mm. lovely. Just again, all of the breadcrumbs were there, and this was the culmination. And then they mm. added the layers of we're also going to explain why Mariner is the way she is and why she has been. Yes. And we said in our discussion of the Ferenginar episode that Mariner is at a point where she doesn't have anything to rebel against and that scares her. And now we learn about her much deeper fear that if she gets promoted, one, she'll be really, really leaving Seto behind. And two, she doesn't want to be a person who is leading people in battle. She would be really good at it. And I think that scares her the most of all. I would be interested to see, don't laugh, Mariner hang out with Eric Ortegas. <laughs> I know that we have literally seen them hang out, and I just want to say that was when I started to like right. Ortegas. I remember. I remember that was like, mm. I, we were like, oh, all you had to do for us to like Ortegas was to put her with Mariner. <laughs> I mm. get it now. But they both have this really profound trauma that's linked to war and their experiences in war. And they deliberately underperform. Erica doesn't make connections with people except on a superficial level. Her feelings about her job are she flies the ship. That is the most superficial interpretation. And Mariner is the same. She has friends now. But we kind of get the feeling that her lower deck is now on the Cerritos are the first close friends she's had since she left the Academy, since Cito Jackson died. And they're both willing to push themselves to the very edge. They're not afraid of dying. They're actually afraid of not dying. Yeah. 
So I think Mariner is one of those characters who makes other characters better. And learning more about her is just so interesting. And I like that, you know, we have the big twist. She went to the Academy with characters you know. She hung out with Wesley Crusher. They definitely dated. <laughs> All of them. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. Like, Nova Squadron and the people in their social orbit, which is so messy. <laughs> so, so messy! Maria Kondo, I love Ness. <laughs> Gif. The sense that losing Seto Jaxa wasn't just hurtful for Worf and for Seto's friends on the Enterprise, but it affected yes. everyone. And I think, you know, that's, that's how it goes whenever, whenever someone dies, particularly someone young. I mean, look, like, Cito Jaxa has been on my list of people that I want to see in Star Trek again <laughs> forever. Mm -hmm. I, I can, like, link to blogs that I don't write for anymore <laughs> that say that. The First Duty and Lower Decks, which I consider one episode, <laughs> sorry, that's how I count episodes, are my favorite like, I, I love, love, love that arc because it is such a beautiful representation of growing up and making mm. mistakes and how you move past that and that that's what makes you a, a yeah. better, stronger, more capable person. Yeah. And I feel like that's something, you know, they say, like, oh, kids these days, they all get awards for nothing and, and they don't know what it is to lose. And it's like, okay, the people who are saying that are the parents who did that, so, like, screw you guys. <laughs> yeah, who is giving out these <laughs> yeah, You did that because you don't want your kid to fail. And I have, like, had this conversation with some of these parents, and the, that is what they say. It is very important to mm. me that my child never knows the feeling of failure. And it's like, cool, dude, way to screw up your kid. <laughs> yeah. What is childhood meant to be if not opportunities exactly. to fail in the safest exactly. way And possible. the thing is that society has leaned into this, not in the super snowflake, mm. everybody gets an award way, but in the overachievers are the only people who we pay any attention to way. And that, you know, we, you know, this job requires a master's degree and five to eight years of expertise. And also we will pay you $30,000 a year. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's all yeah. of it is connected <laughs> and it's all the same problem, which is this mm -hmm. idea of people must succeed at all costs and yeah. not learn about failure. And what's great about the first duty and lower decks, the episode, is that they come in the next generation, which is really the most elitist of the Star yes. Treks, in, in the best way possible. It's like the West Wing. It's a series about incredibly intelligent, capable people working together to do their best. And then you have these two episodes, which are basically, you fucked up, and then what are you going to do with yourself now that you fucked up? Yeah. And it's frustrating to me that Lower Decks ends with Seto's death. I like I don't think it was necessarily a no. bad choice narratively. I don't think that there was any intent to punish her for her crimes of two seasons mm -hmm. ago. But there is the question of really, what are you yeah. going to do so next? So I love Lower Decks the episode. I I love mm -hmm. even the horribly sad ending. We don't get to see a body, so you mm. can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that there's a better oh, yeah, ending yeah. out there. But the way that they honor her is what is so beautiful mm. about that yeah. ending. The fact that Picard gives a speech to the entire ship about this mm. person who, you know, seventy percent of that ship doesn't know, and then they look up her, her up in in space Google, and they're like, "Wait a minute, she got you know this is this bad thing that happens." You're oh, like you know, mm. what a what a wonderful redemption arc. Yeah, yeah. But the relationship she has with Worf, the relationship she has with Picard, the fact that both of them, their whole thing is, I am offering you the opportunity to. Mm get past your mistake. I'm not yeah. even asking you to do something for me. <laughs> I am just providing the opportunity for you to live your life the way that mm. that you can live it. And, and especially with Worf, he's basically going, you have the skills and you have the ability. All you need is to regain the right. confidence. And I completely trust that you can do that and I'm going to help you along and the way. That's what happens in this episode. <laughs> it is yes. not a mistake that a Klingon <laughs> is in this episode teaching oh my God, Mariner so what you know, telling Mariner what she needs to hear <laughs> in order to get past this. Mm. I am like bowing down <laughs> to the writers mm. for this. It is so well crafted. The story craft of this whole season and this episode is just so good. The season is so good that it occurred to me earlier that we knew that we could take, for example, Badgie and Peanut Hamper off the table as potentially not Boba Fett because we know where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, I loved that episode to start with, but narrowing down the pool of suspects without even telling us that's what they were doing was kind of genius because as you say not Boba Fett had to be someone we knew and there were possibilities within the internal canon of Lower Decks yeah I also liked that yes they have this secret plan to keep Mariner safe but it doesn't feel like they're coddling her or babying Mm -mm. her and sometimes particularly in fan works when characters set out to protect a character with a disability or a mental illness or just in a bad place, it comes across as really patronising. And here it was done with respect, and the second that it became a problem, they told Mariner the truth. Yes. Which I think is just really... Again, it's it's respect. Their entire relationship, all of their relationships, both in friendship... Mm family and the chain of command is based in respect Mm. which is so funny because you think about how what people were expecting of lower decks before it premiered (laughs) oh god it's from a rick and morty guy it's going to be gross out humor and people being mean to each other no 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 he like me said that's not star trek Mm. and mike mcgann really won me over (laughs) on his vision Mm. Because he described Lower Decks as Lower Decks' friendship is magic. <laughs> when I saw that in your summary, your, your little write-up, I was like, I really need to know if that is verbatim or Annika's interpretation. I, I don't think he said friendship is magic in those words, but he used the words friendship and magic. Right. <laughs> so 
brought. You know, he didn't want to get copyrighted <laughs> from Hasbro. No, I think a lot of the attitudes that McMahon takes into Star Trek, I think can be applied to all of Star Trek, whether dramatic, whether mm-hmm. live action. It's these people like each other and they respect right. each other. And you can have characters who don't like each other, but there has to be that respect. And then it's not mean, and, and, and then it's not cynical, and then it's not edgy. Yeah, All yeah. of that doesn't And also fit. the writers the writers have to respect the, the story and, and the, the universe. And the audience, yeah. So let's talk about how... Mariner joined Starfleet because she wanted to scan things, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like Tendi and, and everybody else. Yeah. And how that never happens in, in any Star Trek series. No, <clears throat> no. It, it's all like, you know, we have Picard's recently introduced trauma. We have Beverly's trauma. We have Will Riker's trauma. Bellana Torres joined Starfleet because she didn't think she fit in with her with her mother. And then or her she father. left Starfleet because she didn't think she fit in. Yeah. Chakotay left his his home, his family, because a lot of people joined Starfleet to the get entire away crew of Discovery, as we know. I was literally I had a horrible traumatic backstory where they were saved by Starfleet and therefore joined Starfleet. <laughs> that See also La'an and Union Singh. See also Worf. See also Tasha Yar. Yes. <laughs> like literally everyone. Also Nyota Uhura. <laughs> so mm. it's, it's really interesting <laughs> to me that Starfleet's reputation is this beautiful, wonderful place <laughs> where you save lives and scan things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get away from your family. And you of get origin. away from your family of origin. See also Spock. See also Tuvok. Deanna Troy. <laughs> like, and then there's the people who are born into it. The Nepo babies, the, the Janeways, the Harrises. The Mariners. The, the Beckett Mariners. Yeah. Like, yeah. So. That is the only way you can have a family in Starfleet, is if you raise to be them Starfleet. to be next gen oh, yeah. Starfleet. Yeah. Congratulations to the Cisco's for breaking the cycle. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, in many ways, is the uh, exception to the rule. Jake didn't didn't live in Starfleet. <laughs> that that wasn't a Starfleet station. <laughs> there was no, like a, no. a little section of station that was Starfleet that he lived in, and he was surrounded by non-Starfleet at all times. So are you saying that Starfleet is a cult and it raises its children within Starfleet, I mean, so they don't know definitely they yes. <laughs> Starfleet is a cult. Starfleet is a cult that has caught all Trekkies. Yeah. Yeah. Hate to say so. Thank God they fixed Star Trek Picard by making all the characters join Starfleet again. I maintain they could make a good show by taking all the misfits. It would be a successor to Voyager, which Mm -hmm. is Prodigy. However... You can have more than one successor. And <laughs> we have so many successes to the original series. And Voy- mm. the reason Voyager has always been my favorite, and the reason that Picard is my favorite, is that it's about people who don't fit into Starfleet. <laughs> and mm. Starfleet accepts them anyway. And since yeah. I guarantee I would not fit into Starfleet. <laughs> I don't know. 
Lower Decks is about people who fit into Starfleet really, really well, but they are sufficiently different and sufficiently weird that it makes me feel like there would be a place in Starfleet hmm. for me. Just as there is for Mariner. That's cool. I'm gl- I, I, I still... <laughs> I still don't see me in Starfleet. Look, I feel like my job would be as the public librarian on the USS Enterprise because just because you have like the giant computer and all of the internet doesn't mean you don't need librarians and the Enterprise has such great kids programming I mean I'm just I want to just want to say and we've said this before and I just want to really appreciate Star Trek Mm -hmm. for having human doctors or, or alien doctors, oh, yeah. but not AI doctors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would just like to thank Star Trek for continuing to have doctors instead yes. of robots. And the only AI art in Star Trek is when Data paints. Aww. Uh, I would be Bellana, where I would try to join Starfleet mm. and fail, and I wouldn't want to fail, so I would leave. <laughs> Which no, is also fair. seven. That's fair. So, who is me? I mean, Star Trek's promise, really, the the actual utopia of Star Trek, Mm -hmm. is that there is a place for everyone. Yes. And that's why it's important that the AI villain therapy exists and, like, all of that. Mm. It's, again, it's all related. Mm. That Star Trek's true promise is that you belong even if you don't like wearing monochrome jumpsuits. Even if you're a Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say that the lizard, the venom lizard in the teaser this week, it was cute, but it was no moopsie. I thought he was cute, though. He reminds me of my little fire lizard. Oh, I actually thought that this episode was going to be a riff on Jurassic Yeah, Park. I mean, that, that part that was definitely a riff on Jurassic oh, Park. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a, you know, a... So there's an episode of Clone Wars where bad guys are kidnapping Padawans and and the, and the oh, Jedi yes. are like, oh well, we lost a bunch of kids. <laughs> Too bad. Oops. Um, and so Ahsoka, a 14-year-old, <laughs> you know, basically te- pulls a mariner and teaches them all the, the will to, to fight back and, and saves them all. And the entire arc, as far as I can tell, is to teach Anakin that it's okay to abandon your child. <laughs> in fairness, he is going to need to have practice at that in a few years' time. So, I, I wouldn't say I love that arc, but I, I do <laughs> like the story for Ahsoka, and, and honestly for Anakin, mm. who's like, no. <laughs> That's a stupid <laughs> lesson. But this was very much like that in terms of mm. the there are disparate peoples who are gathered up from all over the place and dropped into a jungle to fight mm. and the, the trick is are you going to band together or are you going to die <laughs> and, and in typical star trek fashion they do need the federation to help them band together <laughs> Which is... because that's that's what we do that's what the federation is like, good guys. at just like the Jedi are really good at abandoning along. children. <laughs> <laughs> the Federation is really good at convincing people that it's better to be together. Because again, I think you that... all belong. 
I think that is beautiful. And I just want to point out that Carol Freeman would never abandon mm-hmm. her child. Actually, she kind of does at the end of the last season, but, you know, she apologised, which is more than and the also, Jedi ever did. And also, Beckett marries a full-grown adult. <laughs> right, right. Beckett must be at least in, I want to say in her 40s. <laughs> okay, I don't think she's in her 40s, but I'm going to say 30. I, I feel like we could sit oh, down. Oh no! And work out I mean, the I get like this is only this is the closest, right? So it's only like right after Voyager. Yeah, this is only just after, just after yeah, Nemesis. Yeah, so it's not so, that okay, yes, far. Yes. So yes, she's in her thirties, but I don't think she's. Mm. I mean, Tawny Newsom is not that old. You know, whatever time, who cares? <laughs> like, that's not important. But she's an adult. The point is, she's an adult. Yes, even. In the Academy, they are adults. Adults. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media credits for our theme music, sometimes transcripts for our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at Antimatter Pod, and on Mastodon at antimatterpod at tenboard.social. That's a lot of social medias, and they're really hard. So can I just say, follow us on Instagram. It is the best. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And tell your friends. Tell them to follow us on Instagram. (laughs) But also tell them to listen to us. Definitely definitely listen to us. It takes very little effort. (laughs) You can listen to us on your commute, <laughs> and it's great. Absolutely. Uh, join us next week for the conclusion to the fourth season finale of Lower Decks. Woo!